You found the coffee stop by Day One Members. This is the show for cyclists who need to get faster but also want to look great on their bikes. While we don't teach you the latest fashion trends and hairstyles, we'll help you get that edge you need to gain more speed with smart training and the latest tech talk. Here are your hosts, Anthony Walsh and Stephen Dugan. And welcome back, uh, Anto. It's been a while since we've done a podcast, but geez, there's been some really cool stuff happening lately, and we're going to cover a lot of cool stuff tonight. We're going to dissect the worlds, and I, I thought it was an epic race, Anto. I mean, everyone was saying, you know, Qatar, what's it all about? But it's probably the best world championship for the last 10 years. Yeah, it's great to be back, Stephen. Uh, I think Worlds is a great place to start. Uh, yeah, it was a really interesting race. It was an interesting race almost before the race started because we had that big dilemma about, you know, why is the Worlds in Qatar? What was the temperature touching 40 degrees and days leading up to it? And obviously, there's people shouting corruption, uh, crown, crying foul before it even started. The, there was absolutely no crowd at almost all of the support races, the women's race, the 23s race, completely barren. But then the entertainment on the day was top, top class. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, you know, a potential. And, and what was really cool is the wind didn't really blow all week. And then on Sunday, you could just see the flags before the race kicked off and I knew it was going to be epic because, you know, with teams like the Belgian team and, and in fairness, it was the British that actually started to break it up, but they just um, had a bit of bad luck with Garen Thomas and a few other things kind of went against them. But I thought Cavendish was epic as usual. I mean, to, to get up there and be up there, he's, he's actually completely underrated as a racer, Cavendish, you know? I thought he completely threw it away in the end, but coming to the line in that group, Cavendish has to win for me, like... He's a he's a field sprinter against you know Sagan's not a renowned field sprinter. He can win from small groups, I know, and he can win the odd second class bunch gallop. But you wouldn't think against Cavendish that uh, Sagan's going to have any sort of chance. But uh, Cavendish has got to be really really disappointed with that. But I think it's a big takeout uh, for you know everyone listening to this, and it's something that I think is really really underestimated. And we've spoken about it a few times, Anthony, and that's you know really understanding crosswinds and how to preserve energy for like. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, one of the things, obviously being a sprinter and being fairly crap and trying to nurse myself around to the finish the whole time, I mean, something I'm exceptionally aware of as I, as I, as I do in a race, and that's not making unnecessary efforts. And yet you see it so often, people, for example, not anticipating a change in the wind direction, Anto, and then they turn a corner and they're caught on the wrong side of the bunch for the next 5, 10 uh, kilometers, completely wasting energy. Uh, the guys at the back there were completely screwed there was no way they were getting back into the race they were just so far like the guys at the front are riding full gas I think when I think it was an Aussie lad I, I might have been just absolutely slating and defamating Caleb Hewan here but I'm pretty sure Caleb was the man who let the wheel go when the bunch actually split but they were riding at 70 plus kilometres an hour in the crosswind there but you can imagine if you're 40, 50, 80, 200 riders back there how hard that is it's ridiculous it's crazy I mean what really brought it home to me how hard they were going was um, Andre Greifel. He was basically, yeah, Khaled Eben blew up just completely ground to a halt, you know, and uh, it left Greifel with about five bike lengths. And I mean, we've all been there, you know, you've got five bike lengths and you, you kind of say to yourself, I have to be able to close this, but he couldn't. He, after about four or five minutes on the absolute limit, he just blew up. I tell you who done some rides, Stephen, a lad I used to race against. Uh, quite a bit he used to race on the same team as me uh, although there was a crossover we didn't do it the same year Ryan Rott 
Canadian. Ryan got out front at the early break, and I've actually seen this a couple of times in the Ross here in Ireland two years ago. It was a massive crosswind battle, but there was a few riders that got out in the early break ahead of the huge crosswind battle, and then by the time the, the front of the bunch that had been decimated by the crosswinds actually caught the break, the bunch had settled down a lot, and that's what Ryan benefited from. Uh, in Qatar by the time the, the Boone and Cavendish group actually caught the breakaway all the all the uh, really hard riding was finished now I'm sure it was still hard but he was able to sit on the back all day I think he was the last man pretty much all day and he rolled 15th in the end 15th in the worlds isn't bad at all no it's an epic ride he did really well yeah but you know again it's something that you know we could really you know, benefit from, uh, you know, a lot of races, especially in the UK and Ireland, you know, they're done on a circuit, Anto, so I guess after a couple of laps, it gets fairly easy to predict the win, but if you're in a race like the Ross or, uh, you know, an event that's doing a big loop, like, it's such uh, a doable thing to kind of get on Google Maps the night before, look at the weather forecast, try and figure out where the big crosswinds are going to happen. Yeah, you can always pinpoint, Stephen, if you're to plot all, really simple old school I know we've all Google Maps and stuff now but you know uh, I'm that old that I was using a pen and paper map but when I started our director we'd always get the map we draw the course onto the map then you get online check out the weather and you plot the wind direction against the course and then you start seeing very fast which are the sections that are going to be uh, windy and then you can cross reference that if you have a bit of local knowledge and go okay well the wind's blown cross on this section but it's covered by hedges this section is quite exposed and it's blown across. This could potentially be a problem. And it, it, even if it doesn't split there, it makes sense to be up front because you're just saving energy. Yeah, not being on the wrong side of the bunch, like I mentioned, and getting caught in the wind for even a couple of kilometres. Because like, it all adds up. It all makes a huge difference. But I, I'm really excited for next year with um, Sagan. It just seems this year, Anto, he's stepped up a completely... You know, well, I wouldn't say a different level, but just that little bit of a step up has just made all the difference. I mean, one is well, he's, he's turning seconds into fourths. I think is the big, the big thing. Yeah, yeah, one of the first monument. Yeah, but I, why I was so disappointed with Cavendish in that sprint, it was for me. He just didn't trust Adam Blythe. Like now, I know Blythe is stepping up, and I think it was, it was Blythe riding last year, NFTO maybe. Yeah. Um, there's actually rumours he might be at Aqua for next year. We'll see. I don't think that's confirmed yet. Uh, it's the new Irish professional team, but you know, Blythe's the British champion. He's made this selection. He's you know, it's a tough crosswind day. He's made the selection. He's there to finish. Now I know he hasn't got that proven track record of a Renshaw with Cavendish, but Cavendish just didn't trust him. Cavendish ended up closing gaps in the last 400 meters that Blythe was willing and able to do from the look at it. And Cavendish afterwards saying, "Oh, you know, Blythe he's done a great job," but Cavendish wasn't on his wheel at all. If you look at the slow mo on the way in, he just surfed other wheels. And I think in the end, for me, Cavendish ended up coming through some crazy, crazy gaps uh, and closing massive things that he shouldn't have. If he had to use Blight a little more effectively, for me, he would have won. Yeah, and the funny thing is, it didn't even affect his speed. He just he took the wrong line. If he had stayed with Blight, he would have had a clear path to the finish. I mean, you saw when he crossed the line with Sagan, he must have been going three, four kilometers an hour quicker. Yeah, and Sagan took some mental line. Who was that sprinting from Nizolo? He. Sagan, I heard him saying after, you know, if uh, Zolo flinched, they were both down 100%. He's like, yeah, we both crash 100%. <laughs> He's just absolute head case. He's a nutcase. But I was good at it, I have to be honest. I mean, I, I was good at Boom and didn't win. I was really, really, I was teary eyed, romantic, thinking, oh, it's going to be the big finale for Tom Tom. I mean, I've been a 
you know, a fan of his career right from the time, I think he was third in his very first Paris-Roubaix. Um, he's just been such an amazing champion over the years. Ah, Boonin's been absolutely brilliant. He's been one of those once-in-a-generation riders. And I think another one of those once-in-a-generation riders, Stephen, it's Fabian Cancellara. I think he's bowed out in the Japan Cup this week. Yeah, it's actually, it's it's almost a bit sad for me, you know, because uh, he's just been, again, such an amazing champion. I mean, I kind of posted in our private Facebook group the other day about the favourite ride um, of Cancellara's. And, Funny enough, despite all the success in Flanders and Roubaix and uh, his win in Milan-San Remo, I have to say it was it, it was his ride in the Olympic time trial just gone. I remember watching it, and I could I could scarcely believe what I was seeing. I think his normalised power for the entire uh, TT was something like 468 watts. Yeah, and he's been one of the few riders through the hook or crook or honesty that's been avoided any sort of doping implication pretty much through his entire career you know I know there were some very unsubstantiated uh, references to he was codenamed Luigi in Operation Puerto but I don't think anything was ever uh, substantiated with that and his name is it's as clean as it comes uh, coming through sport in the generation he came through so you know the cynic will say you know maybe he was a bit lucky but for I think you know if you're going to live that cynically you'd think the whole sport was dirty for me he was the cleanest rider in that generation and some of the results he pulled out like I love that that win in San Remo for me it was just brilliant yeah epic but I mean you're right like Cancellara was a champion like I think he was world junior time trial champion and then he came through with Fasso and he was winning prologues in the Tour de France like one two years in he's just one of those as you said once in a generation rider but he was able to stay again at such a high level and speaking of high level I see Mr. Consistency has signed an extension with his movie star contract. Valverde? Yeah. Valverde's just ridiculous. He never ages. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, he didn't feature much in Worlds, did he? I didn't see him. Uh, he didn't, no. He, just, he didn't make the split in the crosswinds. Um, but yeah, over 100 wins uh, so far in his career. I mean, he's well on his way to becoming the most successful uh, Spanish cyclist of all time apart from obviously the Grand Tour riders you know in terms of wins well there's not many riders out there like think about the riders that almost guarantee a Classics win every year you know Cancellara did guarantee a Classics win Boonen pretty close Sagan maybe now but outside of that I'm, you'd struggle to think of another rider that guarantees you a Classics win Dan Martin is starting to get that rep but you know Valverde is as close to a guaranteed classics win each year as as there's going to be and then he'll write three grand tours for you you know if yeah. you're a sponsor of a team talk about return on investment yeah look I mean I'm a huge fan of Dan Martin and he's a rare talent like but he's just not at that league yet you know he could could develop uh, at that level but I mean you're right like Valverde has been top three in all main tours but he's winning races right from the start of the year right through to the end I mean it's it's harking back to the the 80s era, you know, when the likes of Le Mans and Hino and Fignon and all these guys just rode full gas all year, you know. And that kind of brings us to the next point because, you know, we're kind of hitting the transition period. Maybe some guys have already had their transition. I know you've been off the bike for a while, Andrew. You're just dusting yourself off again. And, you know, it's it's really now that you want to be thinking about starting your base if you want to be informed for March, April, May. Yeah, most of us don't race. I know the Worlds was finished last week, Stephen, but most of us don't race uh, up until the pros end the season. Uh, most of us are finished Ireland, UK, US by end of September. 
you know, I know when I was based out in North America, uh, Labor Day weekend is toward 4th of September. There's not much racing left after that. The Irish calendar is finishing out, you know, mid-September as well. So I took four weeks pretty much entirely off the bike. Uh, tried in that time to, you know, I do believe we're creatures of habits that if you end up going on the beer for four weeks and eating shit food for four weeks, then it's very hard to break that cycle. I'm a real momentum person as well with everything with training with work with everything and if i can get that little bit of momentum going it's easier for me to keep it going so even during those four weeks you know i had a couple of nights in the beer a couple of stag party stories that aren't suitable for for the airwaves <laughs> but, but uh apart from that i tried to just generally live healthy you know i got out running a little bit nothing too crazy let the let the hair down a bit in terms of diet and i've put on a few kilograms but now i'm just getting back into you know we typically advise setting your season up in terms of a prepare to train which is just getting out moving then into a base period into a build period on a peak so i'm very much starting back at step one now getting into base period i'm trying to set the foundation for another season of you know for me being one of you guys now juggling work with life with training and trying to compete at a good level still it's it's a real challenge and it's something i'm really enjoying at the moment Stephen. i love running this template of going well how can i balance you know it's reframing what success is you know success when you're full-time it's winning all the biggest races in the world success when you're balancing family with work and all this other stuff it, it, it's very different it's you know for some people getting to the start line can be success in this sort of stuff yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, um, as you know, we relaunched day one. You know, we're co co-creator of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. By the way, what you said the last couple of weeks, Anand, we were relaunching day one, just in case you haven't noticed. But um, <laughs> basically, uh, I was doing the success wall, you know, um, for our uh, kind of testimonials, and the and the thing that really struck me, and I posted a video on it. I don't know if you saw it. Um, it wasn't. Like the you know the big thing that we're all on about the 20% increase in functional threshold. I mean that was cool and some really really amazing. I mean dozens and dozens of amazing case studies. But what really blew me away was like the, just the personal success stories. Like there was one guy knocked an hour off the sportif target time from last year. You know, and all of these kind of really personal goals that that were just game changers for people. Like that weren't necessarily you know hooked in around becoming the number one rider in the in the country. I mean you know there's there's, there's just such a cool thing about setting yourself a goal this time of year, working towards that goal, building it properly over the course of the winter, and then achieving it. It's just epic when you can do that. Got a question for Anthony or Stephen? Visit them online, a1members.com. The Coffee Stop by A1 Members will be right back. Well, me, me and Stephen were just talking about on air about, you know, different corporate type jobs and, uh, you know, A1 coaching, A1 members, it, it's more than that. It's a real passion project for us because we are getting really hooked into, you know, the success stories, people. And for me, Stephen, what's even more rewarding is because it's something close to my heart that if you're getting people just a little bit healthier, you know, performance gains and 20 percent increase in FTP, they're great. They're going to happen. But the big thing that's happening to facilitate that is you're getting healthier like and our our target market our clients are typically 35 plus some of them are into their 60s and 70s this health implications changing your diet getting fitter this is adding real fucking quality onto the latter years of somebody's life you know with clients in their late 60s reaching out saying you know they're able to do things that they weren't able to do 12 months ago and this is adding actual value to the years where they're able to get up out of the armchair they're able to go and do shit with their grandkids 
people are able to you know live a little bit longer and that's a lot more powerful for me than the 20 percent increase you know that's real you know on this thing we're chatting and one of the things uh, i really love us to strive for is that legacy that we're actually making a difference long term to people rather than this you know oh, it was great i came in and i won a race yeah that is brilliant and it's you know ultimately the barometer maybe to which against we're going to be judged but that other you know creating legacy on the back end for me is far more important yeah i mean i've just just flicking through my messenger i've been going backwards and forwards with someone who's just signed up and he had a spinal injury and he's coming back from a spinal injury and just watching the free training program uh, that we put together motivated and inspired him to such a degree that he's basically dusted the bike back off, he's set it up on the trainer, and he's just going to get going again. He's completely inspired. And that, to me, is worth 100 victories. You know, that, to me, is just amazing that someone's going to get that passion going to get out, get on the bike, start getting fit, and just see, you know, life-changing results in terms of their fitness, their mindset, their mental health, absolutely every aspect of it. And one of the most, like, I know we, this, as you know, we had the relaunch there last week, Steve. Really? I didn't uh, <laughs> but one of the areas we never really focused on in the relaunch, it's that Facebook community. Um, because uh, you know, I remember the time when we were talking about putting it together and it was almost a bit of an afterthought. Oh, sure, we'll show a forum together. I will use Facebook. But it's just turned into this amazing, almost peer support, mentoring little service where People that don't know each other, genuine, like Anne Slater in the video that we shot for the relaunch, she's talking about coming over to Ireland for the weekend to visit some of us. Yeah. Like, people are really forming a bond and a friendship through this, and it's pulling people through all sorts of, you know, I had one client reaching out to me saying he's going through a particularly tough divorce at the moment, and the A1 members uh, group has been very, very helpful to him. He said he wasn't comfortable coming forward on there, but he just wanted to reach out and say thanks that it gave him, you know, perspective and something to cling to when life was quite tough. That's like uh, some yeah. powerful stuff going on in there. Yeah, no, it is. It's absolutely powerful. I mean, inspiring someone to kind of get back on a bike after spinal injury or bringing someone through a divorce. I mean, you know, that's that's really, you know, really ultimately what it's about because, you know, we've all had our crack. We've all had our periods of success. But ultimately, it's about, you know, kind of finding that sense of purpose in your life. So, I mean, what I'd really encourage anyone listening to this, and I know I go on and on and on, I think we've gone one of the whole previous podcasts is about goal setting is, Set down a goal. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, you want to win a race, you want to get upgraded. And the more specific you can be about it, the better. So if it's a sportive, pick a time and say, I'm working towards that. If it's uh, a certain event, kind of define what success looks like. Because at least then uh, you've got something to keep you going, Anthony, in that, you know, winter period when I think generally what we find is people tear into the start of it, but it's six, seven, eight, nine weeks into it you don't have that big why hanging in front of you you know the temptation to quit when things get bad is very real don't miss the latest training advice tech insight and general info from the lads be sure to subscribe to the show also join us in the members area full access to training plans nutrition info tactics and modules from some of the biggest names in the sport for only one euro check it out at www.a1members.com yeah, it's what that someone told me. The definition of consistency is, or consistency is doing what you said you do long after the mood you said it in has left you. And that's really why I think this group is very powerful because once you do throw down that goal, it will it almost help you to achieve that consistency because it, that initial euphoria does drift away. And the, but the peer support group, it almost feels like you're letting people down. 
And I know on a on a micro level, uh, we have that. In, th- those of us who are lucky enough to be in great cycling teams have that. You know, I'm lucky enough to be in the top domestic-based Irish team. And, you know, the lads on the team don't let each other slack because it's very much that military-type thing. You know, I need you for next season. This is my target, and I can't do it without you. And I know, actually, I'm uh, friends with Mike Barry, who we had, he used to ride for Sky, who we had on uh, one of our webinars. And I remember chatting to Mike about Cavendish. He said, very different leader to Wiggins. You know, Wiggins is very introvert, sit down the back of the bus, sorry very little but he said Cavendish was very different Cavendish would look around at all the guys on the bus and he'd look into your eyes and he said he just he was that charismatic that he'd make you feel like the most special person in the world and he'd say Mike I need you today I can win but if you I need you to give me absolutely 100% if you give me 100% I can win this for us and that's kind of what the support group's turning into it's you know you'll get through it because there's other people there to help you get through it and you, I think you will get to the target if you commit to it and, you know, really engage in the group as well because it's helping me as well, Stephen. Yeah, I call it uh, the accountability partner. It's just like this 24-7 accountability partner because, you know, most of us aren't in your situation, Ansel, where we're part of a very focused, well-oiled, well-drilled team with really hyper-motivated um, teammates. A lot of us are in this lonely kind of space where if we decide to start cycling, Yes, we may or may not have a goal, and obviously I'm advocating, and we're advocating that you do have a goal, but like, who's looking over your shoulder saying, hey, get back on, I haven't seen you post in the group for a couple of days, like, what's happening, you know? And that support, that kind of accountability partner that the group gives is is really critical, because, you know, you, you know the, the old saying as well, you, you know, you're the average of the five closest people that you hang around with, and if you're hanging around with people that are positive and motivated and supporting and encouraging you, then you're going to be in a much better frame of mind. Yeah, and on this new A1 members, one of the big, so the whole marketing message, if anyone hasn't seen it, was we're asking you to make four shifts this year, embracing high-intensity training, adding in our nutrition element, which is sort of advocating a move from carbohydrates towards fat as your primary fuel source. It's following this step-by-step structured plan, and the last switch we were asking you to make was following a strength and conditioning plan. Now, if anyone's in the members group already, you would have seen a picture of me flat out on my back in the gym after attempting session number one. It's been a long time. I think I, 2013 was the last winter where I went through and done a proper gym program. It's four days ago, and I still have a ridiculous amount of DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. I'm struggling to sit on the toilet ball at the moment. Yeah, it's mad. And, and that kind of leads us into the, you know, the next transition of this podcast we wanted to really talk about, you know, how do you structure a season? So I think so often, Anto, we, we get people that, that come in to say A1 members or that we talk to, and they're just too impatient to get going. And really, the foundation, the cornerstone of a successful season uh, is built off a, a, a really well-structured, well-executed base period. Yeah, there's an old adage, Stephen. Uh, I think it was Joe Friel was one of the first people, Joe Friel, a genius in coaching circles, one of the first people I heard. Uh, saying it was the wider the base the higher the peak and I don't think to adapt that to modern sports science I don't think wider the base anymore typically means duration I read it more to mean now training stress and the more training stress we can get in the winter the higher that allows our potential peak to be in the season and that leads nicely into Stephen what you were talking about goal setting I think your goal has to line up with your level of commitment you know if somebody's coming to me and saying you know i want to win a stage of wealth in three years and i can only train four hours a week you know 
level of commitment doesn't line up with the goal, you're always going to be disappointed. So if you can line up that goal with, you know, if if you're doing, typically our clients are about seven to eight hours a week, I'd say, Stephen. Yeah. Like, I think most domestic targets are within reach for that sort of client, but only if you really adhere to this base training system that we've put down, because it allows you to build that wide base without the massive duration. And we've done that through a very nice combination of intensity and duration. So we're keeping the duration pegged at about eight hours a week, but we've interspersed that intensity in really nicely to raise that training stress score. So I think this is allowing you to build that very, very wide base in a limited amount of time, which has, I think, shifted the entire training paradigm. Yeah, and, and that's the important point, uh, you know, about training stress. So, I mean, for those of you that are familiar with uh, training peaks that really kind of brought to the fore this whole idea of training stress score, but put simply, every single time you train, you expend energy, you're creating a level of stress. That stress causes adaptation, which leads to fitness gains done in the right way. And essentially, to really simply explain it, if you write at your functional threshold heart rate, flat out for an hour, you're going to produce a score of 100. And it's all a relative formula, so it's duration and intensity. So if you train at 70% for two hours, you're going to do a score of 140. So each time that you train, you're basically gathering up that score, and uh, that over time leads to obviously an adaptation in fitness and form. But again, and this is a point that a lot of people don't understand, Anton, why the base period is so important is it allows you, as you build this base, as you build this training stress score, you know, cumulatively and uh, quantitatively, but in a structured way, do the really intense sessions later on in the season as you approach the peak, where if you haven't done that base work and then you jump straight into high, hard anaerobic sessions, generally what you find is riders break down, they just can't cope with that high level of stress because they haven't built that foundation. Yeah, Stephen, you know, there was a lot of misnomers around how to condition athletes four or five years ago, but there's such a body of research out there now that it's, it's very obvious looking at it why athletes typically broke down because our whole thing was, you know, right around in the little ring until January, February, and then you're coming into race season. So what you're doing is you're, you know, maybe accumulating 300 stress points on a typical week riding around uh, in the little ring and then you're getting into race season not only adding intensity into your training now all of a sudden you're starting to do intervals but you're piling races on that so you, you know now we're saying you should only have a 10% increase in your accumulative strength training stress points in a week but with the old school method you were adding in the intervals and you were adding in the, the races at the exact same time some people racing twice a week you were probably having a 50 to 60% jump in your training stress from one week to the next and that's absolutely surefire way to get injured, sick, or burnt out. Yeah, 100%. So your typical base period, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're in A1 members, it's laid out for you on a day-by-day basis. But if you're sitting down and listening to this and thinking, well, how should I structure my base? What you really need to think about is three distinct months uh, over the course of the base period. And really, as you go into, you know, each month, you're looking at developing slightly different things. So in the, in the first month, you're going to look at developing really your muscular endurance, your force, and that's the ability to turn you know, a gear uh, for a long period of time without the onset of fatigue. And it's a great time, Anthony, as well, to kind of do some speed work, which I think is really underrated. Like, um, I know I'm fond of uh, mentioning my record. I think it was, what was it, 228 reps. <laughs> yeah. And then a hard sack. And then a hard sack. But again, you know, that 
something that's been really lost is that peddling efficiency, and I know you're a big advocate of peddling efficiency, Anthony, um, and again, the, the, the first month in the base period is a great time because you're not looking at doing high intensity intervals. So we often intersperse kind of fairly high intensity uh, rep work so you can improve your peddling technique, which leads to much better you know, translation of power output later on in the season. Yeah, early in the base phase is a great time for, you know, it, there's uh, the nutrition plan that we're advocating as well. We're just talking about that move from uh, carbohydrates to fats. You know, we'd never say to somebody mid-season to try that out, but base periods, like Stephen saying, working on pedaling efficiency, whether it's working on your nutrition, we don't have to taper for races. We're so far away from the next race that we can do these things and we can soak up the adaptations over a course of weeks and months rather than hope to get instant adaptations in days because some of these things initially can almost set you back because it's it's learning a new it's learning a new pedaling rhythm. It's learning a new way to eat. And initially, there's going to be maybe a small reversal before you actually go forward. So that's why now is the time to start. You know, if you haven't been incorporating this sort of stuff into your training, like a perfect example is the A-lactate base sprints, which we see a lot in our base period. You know, a lot of people will say sprint in, in the winter. What are you on about? You don't sprint until March. But it's actually based on a reverse periodization principle where we're sprinting now because we're freshest, because we're having very little fatigue weekly training stress scores are a little bit lower because the tra- the races aren't involved so we can get that neuromuscular adaptation because we're fresher and that's the best time to get it so you'll see a lot of our sessions have sprints in them so it but it's all Stephen. it's the guesswork taken out i think is the main take-home point from that because it's laid out in a fashion and backed by so such a body of data like i know last year we built this plan but we built it basically in the abstract we'd uh you know a lot of sports science gone into the background of it but this year it's rooted in not only the sports science but another 12 months of field testing this and bringing a thousand members through the program so you know we've pretty much got all the kinks out of it at this stage so the base you know the first sorry the first month of your base period what you're going to be looking at is a steady increase in overall training volume at pretty low intensities which is really building your aerobic endurance and the efficiency essentially of your breathing and your adaptation of oxygen, your mitochondrion. Um, Then you're going to also look to do some kind of maximum strength work as Anthony's been doing in the gym this week because as you said Anthony like it's a great time you can't be in a situation where you're going to have doms later on in the season so it's a great time to do some really high resistant works whether in terms of hill reps getting you know into a really big gear on a low drag and doing on the bike uh, weight training if you like or actually getting into the gym and doing some squats and leg work yeah Stephen it's the time of year where you need to really buy into this you know it's question the source that you're getting your your information from you know if somebody's told you a little ring all year if they told you no intervals till march question the source of this because if you keep doing what you've always done you're going to get the same results so we're saying to you trust our system trust us because you can look online and look at the depth of nutritionists sports science scientists we have pro coaches pro athletes that are using the system but also trust the track record we have last year and make these four shifts this winter because i think if you make these four shifts we're asking you to do this winter next year it's going to be completely different and goals like Stephen spoke about the importance of goals goals that you're setting this year that seem realistic 
when you're setting them the following year, new goals are going to come into focus. Things that you know you didn't think were possible. You know, a great example is Stephen. We typically say we can take uh, any A4 to ride in the Ross within two seasons. Now, if you were to say ride the Ross now and you're an A4 and you're getting dropped in A4 races, you're like, well, yeah, great. How am I going to ride a pro race two years from now? But it's when you see where a 20% increase in FTP brings you within one season then the following season that sort of target becomes into focus so we are looking at a 40% improvement over two years but it is really possible yeah absolutely um, so getting into the second month of the base it's just a continuation of that you're going to start um, you know aiming to increase your volume you're going to ideally start getting out on some rolling terrain and really putting a gradual progressive stress on the muscular system and you know as I mentioned earlier getting some of those kind of hill rep workouts where you're kind of in a cadence of 80 RPM and getting that muscular strength staying down in the saddle and really developing Anthony the muscular endurance so as you start to move into the season you can turn bigger gears you can push and get the wattage out but you're also much more efficient the onset of fatigue is delayed because you've got that muscular efficiency yeah it's super important Mark. the gym program we put together really transfers onto the bike and is complementary to it some days we'd be building on on the bike sports specific strength and uh, my old italian teammate calls it sfr how's your italian steven i think it's strength force resistance or something like that <laughs> i think that's more french than italian but <laughs> yeah i don't know italian's a bit rusty yeah but and then you know the the, the 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 kind of end of the base you're really getting into force endurance speed and muscular endurance and really really developing that baseline so that you can get into the peak and start with the really intense stuff because you're going to move from aerobic into anaerobic as you start getting into the um, build phase which is going to really be all about raising that lactate threshold but as Anthony said the wider the base the more progressive the you know building of your training stress the more likely you're going to be able to cope with the training load later on in the season and it's it's probably the number one mistake we see people make generally who are not in our program and that is they try and do you know too much intensity as you spoke about by doing racing twice a week and they go from doing these really easy rides to like super high intensity and after six or eight weeks they're completely cooked yeah they're like the tasmanian devil Steve. they just don't know you know with respect the last don't know what they're doing they're some days or you see some clients and they smash it all winter and then you're like well you just smashed it all winter and you've been doing 12 one minute efforts full gas kilo style efforts and it's january how do you progress that how do you progress your training stress score from already doing tails and training stress units in a week how do you progress that come january come february very very difficult so they're on one hand and then you see the old school on the other hand and they're just riding around like oblivious to the fact that racing is going to happen 20 kilometers an hour faster than the speed they're riding around at. And they just think they're going to show up on race day and it's going to happen magically. That Oh, no, everyone else has been doing this, but everyone else has been focused, pushing up their thresholds, working on neuromuscular endurance, working on, you know, all these different uh you know physiological adaptations that you need throughout an entire base and build period so when they show up with just riding around they just get absolutely smashed out of it then they get distraught then they start chasing form by overtraining then they get sick injured and it's the same cycle by april may they're pretty much done for the season pack it away and then they come out again in september as the rest of us are winding down and start half wheeling the shit out of everyone else and then the cycle starts all over again they're going too well when the season starts and 
you know, I, I see it all the time. You know, I'm going out with some sporty friends of mine the old time at the moment, and they literally ride the same speed all year round. They're actually going too fast for me at the moment. I'm riding around about 25k an hour, and they're just like 28, 29k an hour all the time. I'm just like, ah, oh, you know what? This time of year, I'm just you know, it's right way out of the zone I need to be in for my endurance session. So off you go. But they won't get any faster. Whereas the racers will get faster if you follow the proven system. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's actually the, the, the take out of it. And you've got to really think about, as you kind of start to kind of get your mind back into the training, you know, the whole lot of your riding around at low intensities, I mean, it does work if you've got 15 to 20 hours a week to train. You will see, you know, huge levels of uh, endurance improvements in aerobic endurance. But 99% of our kind of customers, 90% of you listening to this have got limited time to train. I mean, it's very rare. I mean, there's a friend of mine, he's a dentist and he's self-employed so he can train 15 hours a week, but he's only a, there's only a fraction of us in that space. So if you really want to see gains, you've got to look at introducing high intensity and structure to your season. So you've got to really focus in on that base period and really utilizing your time and building it. Also, you're really only going to get the maximum. I mean, if you don't know where, you know, where you're going to get to in that you haven't actually laid out a goal, the chances of you hitting it are absolutely non-existent. So get out a piece of pen and paper over the next couple of days, have a think about you know what are your target events, what is the result, what does success look like for those target events. I mean, Anto, you said out last year you wanted to win a stage of the Ross Moon and you did it, which is awesome. But I mean, that was your focus all the way through your winter training. Yeah, it was a big focus and you know, obviously as a big element of luck goes in the day but I think that's where success happens where preparation meets luck because you know do you remember that it was a Garmin ad where it was Johan Waters talking at Top Fan he's like oh you know the guys are they're ready for the race they're doing 6.5 watts per kilo on Mount Lemon he's like now all we need is a little bit of luck you always need luck in a bike race <laughs> but and that is true you need luck but you won't get lucky if you haven't prepared and you need to prepare and then if you need that little bit of luck and that's when the bigger results can come off for you and yeah so I, I would definitely encourage Stephen everyone like you said to get out that pen and paper now jump into the Facebook group if you're a member uh, if you're not get signing up uh, or get onto the A1 coaching page post your goal let us know what it is but just get some accountability rope in two or three of your friends into it misery loves companionship like I'm blessed to have a good training group but we push each other through as well and you know everyone knows each other's goals and uh, you, you'll be amazed the times you'll get out when you're hung over the times you get out when you're feeling a bit under the weather when you have a couple of mates uh, rowing with you and if you don't have that you know get into the support group like we have and let them be your support group let them be the lads who are getting that little bit extra out of you yeah I mean you know every now and again it's not that we're overly sensitive to it I think we're both fairly thick skinned but we have some distractors who think that what we're preaching you know is taking away from the, the joy of cycling and you need to just get out there and you know, the, the bottom line is it's been proven by science, by, you know, really cutting edge research in, in terms of, you know, what defines happiness in terms of neurological studies. And we as human beings are at our happiest when we're pursuing something, when we've got a sense of purpose, when we've got a goal. Um, and we all know it, Anthony. We've all been in situations where you're kind of thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What's this all about? Like, it's a horrible space where if you know exactly what you're doing, you know exactly why you're here, you're really dialed in, you're super motivated, you've got that forward momentum going that you spoke about, you're surrounded by a group of people who are just as motivated and up for it as you are, that's a fucking great space to be in. I know it is, and just that laser focus 
on a go. And as well, you're talking about that, what makes people happy. It's that sense of belonging as well. And, you know, that's where, you know, I know me and Stephen are, you know, in technically the co-founders. Uh, but I think both of us actually feel like we belong to that community as well. And I think that's uh, that's very powerful as well. And it definitely goes a long way to helping you achieve your goals. So we're going to be super dialed in. We are absolutely committed to getting one of these podcasts out every single week uh, over the next uh, 12 months because we want you to have this accountability partner, this um, ramblings to listen to out on the bike. Uh, if you're really interested in checking out A1 members, just go to www.a1members.com forward slash sales. It's insane value. Um, get in there and have a look at it. Join the community and uh, we'll be coming back to you next week because we're going to be every single week in your ear trying to get you psyched up, motivated and really focused on what you want to achieve on the bike next year, Anto. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, Stephen. I love doing these podcasts. Uh, I'd be actually interested as well from the listeners when you listen to them. Do give us, get onto iTunes and give us a bit of feedback there in terms of, you know, if you're enjoying it, give us a rating. But give us feedback as well in terms of the direction you want the show to go because ultimately, you know, me and Stephen are doing this for a bit of crack as well. We love talking about cycling, so it's an outlet for us there. So if there's a direction you lads want to go in terms of you want more training advice, you want more reviews of the pro cycling, let us know what it is. And, you know, we're happy to cater for your needs because you're the reason we're doing it. We are, but your humble servant. And on that very, very worthwhile note, Anto, I'll say goodbye and we'll catch up again next week. Yeah, chat soon, Stephen. Thanks for that. Cheers. found the coffee stop by day one members this is the show for cyclists who need to get faster but also want to look great on their bikes while we don't teach you the latest fashion trends and hairstyles we'll help you get that edge you need to gain more speed with smart training and the latest tech talk here are your hosts anthony walsh and stephen dugan